Hello and welcome to another episode of EKU Online's eCast series. EKU Online's mission is to change lives by providing access to affordable and high quality degree programs in meaningful disciplines that positively impact our society. We thank you for joining us. Today our guest is Joshua Reichert, an EKU alumni and assistant professor in the Fire Protection and Safety Engineering Technology Program. Professor Reichert is a licensed professional engineer in the discipline. He's currently pursuing an EDD at Eastern Kentucky University in Educational Leadership and has a master's degree in fire safety engineering from the IMFSE program from Ghent University in Belgium, University of Edinburgh, Scotland, and Lund University in Sweden. His primary areas of interest include fire dynamics and human behavior in fire. Professor Reichert spends his spare time volunteering as a lieutenant on the Whitehall Volunteer Fire Department located in Madison County and playing board games. Welcome, Professor Reichert. You have a very impressive CV. Tell me, why did you study abroad in Belgium, Scotland, and Sweden, and how has that helped you prepare for teaching in this interesting discipline? Did you, did you end up earning three master's degrees or, or one? Uh, it was one degree. It was uh, one degree that was signed off by the three different universities, and they have actually since expanded since my time through the program uh, to where I think they have five or six universities involved in it now, so it's, it's quite impressive. Uh, I got introduced to the program actually by a faculty member that was uh, a, a currently is still here at EKU. And he brought it to me my senior year and said, this is a brand new program. Uh, you might be interested in looking into this. And I did, I actually applied and it would have been the first cohort to ever go through. And I actually got waitlisted. I was about number three on the waitlist. Uh, I was accepted to the program, but I was waitlisted for a scholarship. And so I had, to, I had to kind of question what I wanted to do. And I stuck around EKU one more year with hopes that once I secured my bachelor's degree, uh, they would let me in and they actually did the next year. So I went because it was free and because it was just an opportunity that I felt like I couldn't pass up. And uh, it absolutely prepared me for teaching here. And one of the things, well, there was two things that really benefited me there was one, being exposed to so many different backgrounds and cultures and just learning how to work with people with such varying backgrounds. Uh, I mean, we had people in the program from all over the world and we all had to learn how to coincide and work together. And the education systems over there were so significantly different than here that I had to reteach myself how to learn almost. Uh, I had to learn new work ethic and new, um, learning habits and how to study and when to study and uh and that overall change i think turned me into a better professor the the act of having to force myself to change and look at different methods of learning uh i think really benefits me teaching today very good very good it does sound like an interesting experience bringing it closer to home there are three distinct fire programs in the department of safety security and emergency management there's fire arson and explosion investigation, fire protection administration, and fire protection and safety engineering technology. Can you just briefly talk about each of those and describe for us the types of students that are attracted to the respective programs? 
So the to start off with the fire, arson, and explosive investigation, that is probably our most unique degree we have here at EKU. There's really nothing like it out there. Uh, the people that come into that program and really that come into all of our programs have such a, an overall diverse background. We've got people coming in from that are maybe just riding the truck as a firefighter. We've got people that come in as experienced as a fire investigator. We got people that might come in with background uh, engineering. Maybe they're a fire marshal somewhere. Maybe they're an inspector somewhere. They come in from all these different backgrounds and they've got such a good choice of what program they can go into. And the investigation one becomes the most unique and appealing to a lot of people. Uh, but we do also have uh, the one that I teach in the most is the fire protection and safety engineering technology program. And that is our ABET accredited program. And that ABET accreditation is what tends to draw a lot of people into that program because that does allow people to pursue uh, further certifications such as I'm a, I'm a licensed PE, a professional engineer. So having that ABET accreditation opens the doors to be able to do things like that. And then our last degree was the fire protection administration. So these are the people that are a lot of times already writing either volunteer or on a full-time department, and they're looking to progress up. Uh, they wanna maybe be a fire chief one day. They maybe wanna be a fire marshal one day. And it also doesn't limit them. We have such a diverse set of courses that everybody has to go to that they do tend to overlap a lot. There will be fire protection administration people that'll take a, an investigation class that might take a class with the engineering technology students and vice versa. So it opens the doors that really they can go in whatever path they want. They just have to decide what they really want to specialize in. So, so the ABET uh, accreditation is a real differentiator uh, for the program. Is that right? 100%. And actually when I went through the program, the ABET uh, accreditation was not here. That didn't happen until the gap between when I left from a student and came back as a faculty member. And honestly, I struggled uh, without that ABET accreditation to be able to get my license. I had to go through evaluations and take extra courses here and there and just prove that my experience and education was equivalent to an ABET, um, an a ABET uh, equivalent education. So it took a little bit of time. Uh, it's not impossible, but it makes things so much easier for those students. Well, Professor Reichert, when, when somebody hears the term engineering, people tend to think of civil or mechanical or electrical or chemical, but what does engineering mean in the context of fire protection and safety? A fire protection engineer, um, some parts of the world will call it a fire safety engineer, tend to be a jack of all trades. Uh, you have to understand a little bit of civil engineering. Um, in this program, you're gonna go through statics and dynamics and strength of materials and things like that. You're going to have to go through mechanical engineering uh, issues. You're going to have to go through electrical engineering issues. You have to understand all that. I've sat in, uh, in some of my consulting years, I would sit in rooms of uh, architects that would have civil engineers and mechanical engineers, electrical engineers. We're looking at a design for a brand new building. And everybody's kind of going through the things that they're doing. And you're sitting back and if a civil engineer says, oh, well, we've decided to rearrange this hallway to go this direction or change this door to go over here, you have to be cognitive enough to say, hold on a second, that's going to increase our walking distance. We can't do that. A mechanical engineer might say, well, we're going to switch from 
this type of fuel to run this pump to an electric pump. You need to know what that means for yourself. Same thing with electrical engineers. If they're going to run cabling a new direction or through a firewall or anything like that, you need to be aware enough and be understand what they're doing enough to be able to adequately do your job. So it really is a jack of all trades. Wow. It's, it's very heavy on the STEM portion of, of education then it seems like. Absolutely. Well, I understand that the fire, arson and investigation program requires two residency courses as part of the program as well. Can you tell us a little bit about those courses and what they entail and why it's so important for students to come to campus for this program? So I'm not overly involved with, uh, with the residency, but um, to my understanding, and I do come in from time to time just to see what they're doing because I find it fascinating. But with that program and with it being so unique, one of the big components of it is actually getting to do your investigation. I mean, we can only do so much from a distance and, and teach them virtually, but when they get to come in and walk into a room that just burned for the first time and start that sequence of investigation that you've been taught online, there's th that experience is just, you need that. Uh, same thing for the explosion. Uh, they'll, they'll lay out explosion scenes or maybe actually blow up a vehicle or something like that. And you get to come in and actually start to do that. There's interviews that they, that they start to uh, get to experience here. And just the skills that you can't necessarily get through an online platform, we bring them in for a week, expedite that, and, um, and make sure they're, they're competent and understanding the material well enough to perform what they need to perform once they get here. On, on the uh, week-long program, is, is it pretty much all day, every day? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, and then when they go home, they've got homework to do. They'll go back to their hotels, and they've got homework to do to get ready for the next day. So it is in a in very intensive week. Well, I understand, Professor Riker. Uh, for example, in your FSE 322 course, uh, which is entitled, entitled Fire Protection Structures and System Design, you tend to spend a great deal of time on the layout and design of sprinkler systems and their ability to combat fires and structural damage. If you would, can you speak a little bit more about this course and other topics that are covered? Uh, imagine you're talking, for example, to somebody, a, a prospective student. What do you describe your class to be like? Uh, so to get into that class, we also have a prerequisite to it. That's FSC 221. And that's really the starting process of it, because a lot of times in, in fire protection, we're not just going to use one means to provide fire protection. Uh, in that class, a lot of the focus, like you mentioned, is, is focused on sprinkler systems. But a lot of times we're also going to have alarms in that building. We're going to have passive fire protection, firewalls, fire barriers, doors that automatically close. And a lot of that stuff's going to be covered early in 221 and then even later in 445. Uh, so 322 is really just the tie into all this stuff to where we start off by starting very basic. Okay, what kind of sprinkler head do we want to pick? What does the code say that we need to pick? What are the different options? What's approved? for our use. How do we figure out what's approved and what's not approved? And then you start working down the line. Okay, now what kind of pipe do we want to use? Well, certain pipe is going to have more friction loss. Some are is going to have uh, a higher C value. There's different variables. Some are going to be more expensive sometimes when the economy fluctuates up and down. So maybe we go and we use a different type of piping and you work it all back and figure out how to lay this out to provide an adequate protection 
uh, of a sprinkler system. And then once you get it laid out, it's figuring out what's the demand on that system. Uh, how much water in terms of flow, overall flow, how many gallons per minute are we gonna need to that system and how much pressure is available? And you end up doing a hydraulic calculation all the way back to the city water system. And that's where FSC 360 picks up, uh, which is our hydraulics class. So they, they calculate from the source of the water to the start of the building. And then this class picks up from the start of the building all the way to a sprinkler head. And we end up coupling those together. And then in the end, all these classes get tied together in our engineering technology course uh, in the capstone of FSC 481, where you are going to do an overall design project and couple all these classes together. That's why a lot of these classes are called our core classes. Wow, I, that, that sounds so complex. Um, you know, I just saw the 322 course and looked through it some and, and thought, boy, that sounds complicated enough, but <laughs> tying in all these different courses, that, that really does become a complex procedure, doesn't it? It does, and uh, and the people that advise, you know, are Christy Templeton and Lauren Childs. She they, they take very good care of our students to make their, sure they stay on the correct path and work with us very well to make sure they're taking these courses in correct sequence to uh, to be successful. Well, let's talk about teaching online a bit, uh, Professor Reichert. What do you enjoy about this mode of education, and quite frankly, how did you learn to do it so effectively? So <laughs> I listen to the students. Um, I think when it comes down to it, especially with online students, if you're willing to listen, they'll tell you exactly what they need. Um, I know what I experienced going through school. I, I never had to go through an online environment. And quite frankly, I say a lot of times that I have such a high respect for these online students because it's go doing your career, taking care of your family. And then when you have time, do your coursework. And that takes a, a major amount of commitment to your education to advance. So with me respecting that so much, I wanna make sure I give back and I'm available to the students. So th that's what I do a lot of times is just make sure I'm available. Um, emails come straight to my phone. So usually I can respond qu pretty quick and it's not uncommon. Uh, for example, last night, uh, my girlfriend and I were making dinner and I just stopped what I was doing and walked out of the room and opened up my computer and she's like, virtual office? I'm like, yeah, virtual office. Because I take pride in responding really quickly to the virtual office to where I think my response was in six minutes of the student posting because that's probably when they're um, still on there trying to do their work and watching the video. So I wanna make sure they get that quick response. And so I think being an effective teacher is just being available and listening to the students and, and letting them tell you what they need to be successful. Now, were you an online student? I was not, no, I was on campus both here at EKU and then through my, um, and then through my master's program. I, I've done some online courses since I've come back as a faculty member, I've continued my education, the EDD program, we do a few classes online and I've taken a few things online. And, and even in this in this current pandemic environment, I've sat through a lot of online lectures and I get to start seeing things that I like and dislike and can start applying them to the classroom. Very good. Well, this term, it looks like, if I looked at your schedule correctly, you're teaching courses like fire and emergency scene operations and human behavior and fire. Um, and then last, last term, I believe you taught the course fire protection structures and systems design. How do you teach 
engineering intensive courses, that is STEM courses in an online format, because a lot of people find that very challenging. It is very challenging and uh, it's, it's being prepared. And, and the nice thing about teaching classes online is being able to develop them ahead of time because then you can see what's working, what's not working and stop and maybe correct a place and maybe redo a video and explain something a little differently or more thoroughly. And then it gives you that extra time to, um, like I've mentioned before, be available to the students. One of the more challenging courses I teach is our FSC 355 Fire Dynamics. And it's not uncommon for me to host a live session where I'll come in on a Thursday night at eight o'clock at night and I'll log into Zoom and I'll let you know students that wanna come in and just ask questions. Um, ask me to work out a math problem. Ask me to explain something a little bit more and sit there for two or three hours with them and just make sure they understand it before uh, we part ways. And then we also have very good equipment here. Um, we have smart boards located here in our building that I utilize a lot. Um, and I think that's overly beneficial to be able to sit there and actually work out by hand mathematical problems and then explain what I'm doing as I'm doing it, as opposed to maybe I've seen some people use a PowerPoint presentation that starts to show the formula as you're going through. And I just, I've never really been overly comfortable with that. I like working things out by hand and explaining as I go. And then if I'm doing a live session like that, students can say, oh, wait, where'd you get that number? Or how'd you end up with that calculation? Or why are you using that equation? And I get the chance to stop and explain. And every time I do that, I learn things a little bit more about certain parts of the class I'm teaching. And that again, opens up doors to go in. Okay, I'm gonna put another video in here that explains this part a little bit more because everybody always has a question about this. Do you see your students responding really well to, the, to that kind of uh, interaction? I think so. Um, I get a lot of very appreciative students at the end of the semester that'll shoot me an email and just, you know, uh, thank me for uh, the extra work that I'll put in for them. And, um, and it's usually a, a very mutual thing. And they, they understand that their time is precious and my time is precious. So we take advantage of you know, when we get each other's time and respect that time. You know, online teaching in, in the big scope of education in general is a relatively new kid on the block. And I'm just curious from your perspective, what challenges and opportunities do you see in teaching with these kinds of important courses, teaching them online? What, what kind of challenges? And, and more importantly, what kind of opportunities do you see? Uh, challenges is always just making sure you stay in contact with students because there will be a student here or there that just kind of falls off the face of the earth and hasn't done work for a week or two. And you might try to email them and they don't respond back. I'll reach out to Christy or Lauren and say, hey, have you heard from these students? I might go down a hallway and say, hey, who has this person in their class? Have they done anything this week? And then it's just checking in with them. So it's always a challenge to keep them going, keep them motivated sometimes. And because life does happen, um, but just being flexible. And, it's, and again, especially in this pandemic world, they might say, hey, sorry, we've been really busy at work or we had a lot of people at the fire station get COVID. So I'm having to work three days in a row uh, to make sure we cover things. And then it's just being flexible with them. Okay, well, let's, let's set a new realistic due date for the stuff that you've missed and get you going on there. And in terms of opportunities, I think the networking with these students, because they're going to get out there and they're going to be successful. 
and the opportunity to keep these alumni close to the program and keep an open communication with them because if they leave and they like you, they're going to continue to communicate with you. And um, once they get out there and they're successful, that's success for us as well. Uh, because someone goes out there and they do something great and they say, well, where did this person go to college? Well, I got my education at EKU and it's, it just, it looks really good. And it's a great opportunity for us to keep those students going. Well, you've spoken a lot about engagement and I, and I couldn't agree more that engagement is such a key component of online learning. And from what I understand about your classes, the level of engagement you have with your students is, is really just exceptional. And I, I noticed in, in doing research for this um, podcast that you make extensive use of things like podcasts and videos. Tell us about any other techniques you use to keep your students engaged. I know you've mentioned a few, but, but collectively, tell us about some other techniques you use. Um, I'm not an uncommon FaceTimer. So if there is a situation in which a student just doesn't seem to get it and I'm not near my computer or something like that, I have no problem sending in my phone number and say, just FaceTime me and let's let's work through this. And I'll sit there with them for an hour or two and um, make sure we get through it. When I do live sessions, I love to pull up a Kahoot and it's just things like Kahoots are fun. And we'll just sit there and play a Kahoot for an hour where I'll just run them through questions. And it gives me the opportunity to see where we're missing on things and uh, where they're exceeding on things. Um, and Blackboard is just such a great tool. Um, as long as you understand it and take the time to learn the ins and outs of Blackboard, there's so many good tools in there uh, through discussion boards and the podcast and posting videos and um, the, the ability to video chat on there and things like that. I mean, just it's a, such a great tool that if you take advantage of, I think students truly appreciate your effort uh, at utilizing those tools. Well, here's something that I think is, is pretty interesting is that one of the things we notice with online programs is that many times we get the adult learner, the non-traditional students. And I'm just wondering in your experience, how you would compare and contrast the traditional age student with the adult learners that are coming back, you know, for whatever, for some of the reasons you mentioned earlier on. And how do you compare with those and how do you do anything differently or do you do anything differently to engage these two populations? More times than not, I can tell the age difference between uh, our online learners. Uh, usually the adult learners, they have one goal set in mind. They wanna get through this program. They wanna be successful. They wanna learn as much as they can and they wanna graduate. And there usually is not very much pushing you have to do for them. Some of them may struggle a little bit with the courses, but they're the ones that as long as you have that open communication with and respect each other's time, I'll give you some time, you give me some time and we're gonna sit down and we're gonna crank this out for a while. And they usually really respect that towards the end. I've had a couple students, a couple adult learners that, that they had to go through my course once or twice, but the, the second time through, they reached out and they're like, I really want to get through this this time. How much time can you give me? And we sat down every single week and had a live thing where we sat down and worked through problems and made sure he understood the material uh, to get through. And the traditional age students, while there are some that come in motivated, a lot of them are uh, coming out of that high school mindset. And I, and I always think that high school mindset into a college is, is just a little bit different 
uh, because in high school, you're going all day long to school and you're seeing your teachers uh, face to face. And now all of a sudden you're doing an online format and you're only, you know, you have to regulate your time a little bit differently. And sometimes they do struggle with that and setting up or, you know, getting their time management established and trying to be successful. And I think they almost come in a little intimidated sometimes to reach out to us as faculty members and don't be. I mean, we're, we're here to ultimately make sure you're successful and get a quality education before you graduate. So um, yeah, that's probably the biggest difference I see. I usually don't have to do too much, uh, engage the two populations. Um, I don't do very much different because even, you know, it doesn't really matter who falls off the face of the earth. I'm still gonna reach out to you. Uh, I'm still gonna see what's going on, what's going on in life, is everything okay? Yeah, you're very engaged, and that's one reason we wanted to talk with you on this podcast is because it was my, our understanding about your level of engagement is very high, and I, I would have to agree that that one facet of online learning is is absolutely crucial for success for the student, and you know, one of the things that I always say is when you're teaching an online course, imagine that the student is sitting by himself or herself at a desk in their room, nobody else is around them. They may feel like there's nobody on the other end. Mm -hmm. And as long as they, they know that a faculty member cares about them, reaches out to them, um, they've probably got a really good chance to succeed. And, and uh, so I applaud your efforts. Thank you. Now, what would you say, Professor Reichert, to a, a prospective student who came up to you and said, why should I get a fire safety degree from EKU? And why should I do it online? What would, you, what would be your elevator response? We have very motivated and compassionate professors in this program. A lot of the professors that are here were here when I was a student. And so I adopted a lot of that from them. Uh, so when you come in, you're gonna have these people that are motivated, not just to give you an education, but motivated about the profession as a whole. They're continuing to advance themselves and understand new practices and new technologies and new strategies and things like that, that then they can roll into the classroom. So they're going to be there to provide you with the most updated material possible. And then um, their compassion towards the students of people like me who will do a, a live session here or there, or will make sure we reach out if you uh, have missed a few things or uh, hollering down the hall and, you know, just checking in. Hey, have you guys heard from this student recently? Yes, uh, I heard from him. I'll send him an email or anything like that. So I think the professors in this program coupled with uh, having that ABET accreditation for uh, the engineering technology program just makes this a great option for any student that would look to come to EKU. And doing it online is we just have such great tools to be successful online and it kind of going back to what you said it's easy to get disconnected I think. Uh, if you're doing things online so us showing that compassion and showing that you're not alone, you can be successful and just let us help you along the way. Um, is one perk to doing it online. Well, Professor Riker, this has been a really interesting discussion. I, I would love to talk to you even longer, but as we begin to wrap up, is, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Anything about your teaching or about the program or about you personally that you'd like to share? There's so much about this university that I love. Um, 
uh, I recall back when I was looking at universities to initially attend and I came down and I got to see Campus Beautiful for the first time and I, I just fell in love immediately. And I knew once I got down here, I looked at my mom, I said, this is where I wanna to go to college. And uh, ever since I was here, I, I just absolutely loved it. I got immediately involved in organizations, student government. Uh, it was just such a great experience. And I think my passion for being here has rolled over to being a faculty member and has ultimately helped me be successful as a teacher. And, uh, and honestly, I wish I could teach every class. I just, I'm so passionate about it that I wish I could teach every class and walk a student from start to end through everything. Uh, but obviously that's just not possible. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Professor Riker, for your time. We, we appreciate it greatly. And, and just wish you continued success here at EKU. Thanks for having me, Steve.